This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. Coming up on this episode, The Thing, part two of our discussion. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by special guest. He is one of the co-hosts for the brand new show on Film Geek Radio, Wait, Wait, Don't Eat Me. It's a show all about The Walking Dead on AMC. Chris Baker, welcome. Thanks, Andrew. Glad to be here. Now, if this is your first time tuning in to Cinema Fix, you should know this is episode number six. Cinema Fix is the show on Film Geek, Radio, Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a ten-minute discussion just on our general thoughts and impressions of whatever film we're talking about that week. The second part, which you're listening to now, is a much more in-depth analytical discussion that does contain spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film and you don't want us to ruin it for you, stop listening now. Go back and listen to part one. This week, the film we're talking about is The Thing. Ah. This is, of course, the prequel to the 1982 film by John Carpenter about a group of scientists in Antarctica that find an alien creature that starts attacking them and can mimic human beings perfectly. Let's hear a clip. They attacked him. They, oh. they got Lush! Peter! They are Lush! What happened? Peter, keep them back. You were young, man! Stay on them, Peter! You were fitting them! What happened? You are Lush, man! They don't know who we can trust. We don't know who we can trust them. Stay on them, Peter! They're inside. All right, Chris, you and I already gave our general thoughts on this version of the thing in part one. That's right. Not not top notch. Now, I really want to talk about what what doesn't work about this movie. The first thing I want to say is that the characters in this movie don't react like normal people to anything. <laughs> Within the first 15 minutes of the film, they have found the spaceship and the alien creature. In the 1982 film, it took a good half hour for that to happen. Here, we're just kind of thrown right into it, and they find this spaceship, and at no point does anyone go, oh my god, we just found an alien, let's take lots of pictures, let's shoot some video. In the original 1982 film, there was a photograph of uh, a scientist looking pretty happy, you know, standing around the... Uh, the, the spacecraft, we never see that photograph take place. We never see any video being shot. And again, I'm thinking to myself, okay, if you're trying to make this a prequel and link it to the 1982 film, show some video being shot. Show those photographs being taken. Yeah, I mean, that was all absent. And I mean, I'm no scientist, so I can't say how a scientist might react. But like you said, I mean, they walk in and they're kind of nonplussed by it. It's like they found... I mean, it'd be like finding a, a an old skeleton of a dinosaur or something, which even that you would think would be more surprising. But they're just – they don't want to document it at all, it seems like. Right. And, and you know, 
later in the film, they're they, they, they're kind of at the base bar having some drinks. They're like, "All right, we found an alien. That's great." And there's one guy who's just like, "Yeah, we found an alien." And I was like. Thank you. That is how everybody should be reacting right now. You should be talking about how you're going to spend the millions of dollars you make, how famous you're going to be. You should be wondering what the hell it is. You should be talking about it. They sh- this should be dominating your conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they say the uh, the spaceship they think has been there for 100,000 years, but no one raises a question about, hey, what, what's it been doing this whole time? And the other thing is no one is at all uh, – scared or anything that hey maybe this thing is super violent and wants to eat us all or right. destroy us they're just kind of okay with it right you know and it, it just they, they, they don't really attempt to study it much at all they're just kind of like let's let's drill a little hole in the ice for some reason yeah we'll take a tissue sample and that'll be that yeah i mean if you're going to try to incorporate science in a movie either it's an all or nothing sort of thing either make up some nonsense scientific terms that don't really work or really explain the science but they kind of they kind of half-ass it and you don't you don't have a clear sense of he says oh i examined the tissue in two minutes and figured out that it's not human and no of course it's not human (laughs) exactly (laughs) it was in a spaceship (laughs) for a hundred thousand (laughs) years right you know and i don't know just it was just little things from the very beginning just really bugged me like for example if you've seen the 1982 film, you know that the Americans, when they come to the Norwegian base, they find the chunk of ice that it was buried in. And it's still fine, except it's been, like, hollowed, melted out in the middle. And so you're thinking to yourself, oh, cool, they thawed out the middle, and that's how they got it out. And in this version, the creature's been frozen for 100,000 years. They drill a little tiny hole into the ice, and somehow that thaws it out enough where it can leap out of the ice and completely shatter the ice into this bowl structure, (laughs) leaving the edges intact. It will leap out full strength, like, whoa, 100,000 years later, I'm feeling fine. No big deal. (laughs) And I was like, what the hell? That is not how any organic thing works would respond to being in ice for 100,000 years. It's still in ice. Well, and I mean, physics aside, because it leaps from a, a non-moving state 20 feet in the air through the roof. Right. We won't even get into that. But but then afterwards, it's depicted as kind of this, um, like, quivering, scared creature where it's, like, hiding under the base. So it's got this huge burst of energy. It's all excited. And then it kind of retreats. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. Well, see, that that's part seemed more in keeping with the 1982 version to me because in that film, you know, this this is a creature that wants to escape. It wants to hide. It wants to mimic. It wants to blend in and get the hell out of Antarctica and get to civilization where it can go crazy and, and you know, eat everyone, essentially. Mm-hmm. And in this film, it has no qualms about, from the very beginning leaping straight into the air and drawing attention to itself, cornering people or groups of people and trying to attack them and let it, letting itself be known. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, why would you be doing that? Unless you're really hungry after 100,000 years and need to eat everybody just to stay alive? No, 
you find one person to mimic, and you stay that person forever until you escape. Mm-hmm. Well, when the first guy shows himself in the helicopter, I mean, that really didn't, along with what you're saying, that doesn't make sense because right. they didn't know that this girl kind of had an idea, but everyone thought she was crazy. Right. So if he had just kind of played it cool, rode that helicopter right out, sat down for a while and came back, I mean, he would have been fine. He yeah. could have got away, but there's there's no reason for him exposing himself in the helicopter. I just, I didn't get that. Right. And then um, at another point, there's uh, the, the other only female character in the movie. It turns out that she's uh, just an imitation, and she corners the our protagonist, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, in this room and makes like she's going to attack her. And I was just thinking, why? Because she's figured it out? You want to get rid of her? Or, you know, why, why not just stay the way... You are. This shouldn't be a slasher film where you're trying, where this creature is trying to kill everyone in the base. Again, it wants to escape. You're not going to escape if you kill everyone. Mm-hmm. You're well, just going to be trapped in Antarctica again. <laughs> that accomplishes nothing. And there's nobody there. There's nobody in Antarctica. Well, except for Kurt Russell, who's right. like a hundred miles away somewhere. Right. So I was just sitting there and I was thinking, the motivations and the psychology of this creature are completely off. Why is it doing this? Why is it exposing itself so frequently other than because the filmmaker's like, oh, we want some cool special effects? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's like you said, they turn it into a slasher film, which is, I think, why they had so many characters. Because they're like, if we have more characters, more cool ways to kill people. Versus right. if there's just six people in a room, then you've actually got to develop the characters, God forbid. Right. I guess they figured out, oh, people like the 1982 version because of all the special effects. Let's do that. And it's like... Yeah, people like it because of the special effects, but they also like it because it makes sense and it's people are freaking out and there's all this paranoia and you get the sense that this creature is a real threat with a real goal mm-hmm. as opposed to just kill everybody. Yeah. And, and in, in this film, it just kind of seems like seems like an animal that would want to eat people. And that's not scary. That's not intelligent. I mean – is that the kind of thing that would have this giant spacecraft filled with all of this amazing, apparently digital technology? Yeah, can we talk about that for a minute? The yes. uh, the pixelated engine of this okay. Uh, right okay <laughs> this so, spaceship. L- l- yeah, let's talk about that. So the the third act of the film, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton chase the creature back to its spaceship, where I assume it's getting ready to take off. And what's it going to do? Is it going to go back home? Is it going to go somewhere else on Earth? We don't know. It's just going back to his spaceship for some reason. And they, she, she, you know, she finds the control room, and there's this, like, pixelated digital column of light and data. And you're like, what is that? Is that the engine? Is that what makes everything go? Is that the thing in its natural form? What is it? And they never explain that. And, well, they spend a lot of time... With the camera on it, too, yes. for not explaining. I mean, there's they like, pan look, right to it, and they're it, showing it. It's and, so pretty. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe in 1982, again, that would have been cool special effects, but it it was just like these pixelated cubes that, I, I mean, I guess if you really want to dig into it, maybe, like you said, that was that's what makes up the thing, or these cubes can become anything, and that's where it draws its power from. But, uh, no, in reality, it just made absolutely no sense. That's when the film really kind of derailed for me. And Yeah, and it and – it, and, and then later on, uh, the thing has her cornered, and she's going down this corridor, and she gets blocked in by this 
wall with holes in it. And I was like, what is that? Is that like another room? Is that like in some sort of egg sack? I was thinking of like bees and how it kind of looked like a honeycomb. And I was like, what is that? Why is that blocked off in that way? No, don't really explain it. And it just really didn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay, and then also, that is the moment in which it's implied Joel Edgerton's character gets killed and it gets right. digested and becomes an imitation. So at this point in the movie, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is trying to kill the thing with a grenade. Joel Edgerton rushes out apparently to save her and drag her away and they run off together while the thing blows up and I was thinking, okay, wait, if he's infected, he should be pushing her towards the monster. How does this work? Or is this like a backup plan? Like, oh, just in case she happens to kill me, I'm going to have this other imitation thing ready to go. I just, I don't know. I was like, what is going on? This makes no sense. Yeah, the uh, the thing's psyche was very uh, temperamental. It was like a, a 13-year-old girl's personality that just changed its mind every kind of 10, 15 minutes and uh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to kill you. And it, yeah, it was just, it was a, a scatterbrained thing, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to uh, to following the, following the same plot beats as the 1982 film, I mean, they even decide on the same blood test, which is the first thing that they do in the mm-hmm. 1982 film. They say, okay, let's take uh, some uncontaminated blood and some contaminated blood and see if there's a reaction. Which is what they first think up in the 1982 film. Except in the 1982 film, they find that all of the blood, their blood supply has been slashed and ruined. Mm-hmm. In this film, they're just kind of like, nah, guess we can't do that for well, some reason. And th- that's a really, that's one of the best scenes in the original film. Because well, the suspense well, well, in it is, is incredible. Right. And but, then they're like, who, you know, who did this to the blood? And that's when they finally come up with the idea to try and burn the blood. Right. Which is great wonderful scene i did like how they didn't copy that in this film and this film they were like okay well it's it, it it's it can only um copy organic things so let's look for fillings i thought okay that's a decent idea i like where this is headed they have a couple suspects that they have off to the side which they don't tie up <laughs> at all yeah if they're on the other side of the room they're not dangerous anymore apparently and then, you know, of course, you have other people that run in from the crash, and you're like, well, are they infected or not? And, again, let me get this straight. So when they arrive back, Joel Edgerton and uh, Mr. Echo from Lost, <laughs> they have managed to walk from the other helicopter crash all the way back to base, and neither one of them is infected? What? I don't understand because Joel Edgerton doesn't get infected until later apparently because he still has his earring mm-hmm. and Mr. Echo later gets attacked by the thing and I don't understand why it would attack itself mm-hmm. or another imitation so are we really supposed to believe that there was a thing in the helicopter, the helicopter went down and that thing just died and burned in the wreckage while these two managed to survive even though they were in 
pilot seat. <laughs> I just, I, it makes no sense well, at and, all. You know, I know what they're trying to do because actually I thought that was one of the parts of the movie that did work pretty well was when you had, you introduced these new characters who you're unsure of. Right. But they wanted to do that. They just didn't get to it in the right way. Like I, in the original, right. they isolate Wilford Brimley out in uh, a tool shed and he tunnels out. And then, I mean, that all adds up. Well, okay, again, and they have, again, a copying, you could say they're paying homage but they're essentially copying that same thing there's another part where you've got these two characters they've isolated mm-hmm. them they and then they out. go in and there's a tunnel and i'm like hmm where have i seen that before oh yeah the 1982 film mm-hmm. and i did like that they do handle those characters in a little bit of an interesting way when you you think that well clearly one of them if not both are infected right and later you see lars get grabbed you think that it's because of them and they're infected. And then it turns out they're not. And I was like, okay, that's a cool twist. I just don't understand logically how we got there. I'm having to suspend my disbelief a little bit far. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm already okay with believing there's an alien. Right. But when you create these people who just don't make sense, there were just there were too many holes that really weren't thought through enough. Right. And uh, similarly with the way they come up with the blood test where she just kind of – Suggests it on a midair while they're burning the corpse of uh, of the of this creature. In, in the original, they really they build up to it, and Kurt Russell explains that every every cell of this thing is its own organism, and if you put fire to it, it will try to get away and escape. And they really explain it. In this, they're standing around, and she just kind of suggests, "Well, uh, l- let's do a blood test." Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, okay." Did you just kind of think of that out of midair? Right. There's no explanation whatsoever. Right. And see, and getting back to a. Uh reactions again and having real life reactions i'm sorry but the minute you realize one the alien you found is dangerous <laughs> and it eats somebody you you freak out okay you start you get amped up you start asking what are we going to do what's going on how does this thing work you want to get to know it better but as it stands these they kind of just stand around and they're like oh yeah it ate her friend. Huh. That sucks. <laughs> guess we should get this guy to a hospital. I guess we shouldn't investigate this much further. I guess it's dead, even though you're telling me its cells are still alive. I'm sorry. No, that's not how you react. And once you make a new discovery, if you're someone like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, you're supposed to be running around the entire base screaming, it's alive. Nobody move. We have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. This is an, an alien organism we know nothing about. Like, if you're scientists, like the guy keeps saying, we have to do this for science. He should say, like, yes, let's isolate ourselves and really study this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, science. There, there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason to the characters or, like you said, the thing. It's just everyone's right. kind of running around like – Chickens with their heads cut off. And, and I, I think a lot of that goes back to the fact that there's just way too many people in this movie. Right. And yeah. none of them have really distinct personalities. They all just kind of blend together. It's like, oh, there's just another scientist. Okay. And, you know, when you're, when you're doing a prequel, you know from the very beginning there are certain beats I have to hit. And for me, I felt like, okay, well, you've got to show them videotaping. So the Americans can find the videotape. That isn't shown. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got to show the axe in the door that they find in the 82 version, which they explain 
But it's an awful explanation. <laughs> yeah, leave it. <laughs> just leave the axe. Not a big deal. Don't just don't touch it. Yeah. You chopped up that thing. I guess it might have some blood on it. Whatever. Just leave it. The one thing I I did kind of like is that in the original 1982 version of the thing, and they find the corpse out in the snow that's completely mangled and is this weird hybrid creature with two faces melded together. And every time I I see I I've seen the film, I think to myself, oh. Well, they killed it while it was in the middle of transforming between two people or something like that. And it got caught in the middle, and that's why there's two faces. And I did kind of like how in this one they were like, no, actually it just went up to a guy and melded faces. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. What I wasn't okay with, again, was the fact that it stays that way and just decides to wander the base hunting people in that form. I was like... That looks kind of uncomfortable. Doesn't look very convenient. Again, why aren't you just trying to hide? It just did not make any sense. Mm. I liked how they created it, but then they should have just burned it up or gotten it over with. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you think of, of that? I, I, I liked it too. It it kind of made me question the thing's metabolism timeline because I feel like sometimes – uh, it could find someone and turn into them within a minute. I mean, right away, you've got this new person. But with, with this guy, it really took a while, and he never fully uh, absorbed him as another person. It just – there was just kind of this lapse as to, okay, when – I wasn't sure what the thing was trying to do when right. it just latched on to him. It, it was really – it awkwardly positioned itself on top of him first, which was uh, kind of weird to begin with. Um but then I, I was wondering where where's the thing going with this? What's right. what's his goal here? Usually he just like eats someone and then basically becomes them. Right, and and again, if it if it's not just trying to kill him, if it's actually trying to digest and absorb him, why is it doing that in the middle of a firefight? <laughs> why? <laughs> Terrible time to do that. To be like, oh, no, they've discovered me, but I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go meld with this guy (laughs) just because. And and I'm just going to expose myself that way. Yeah, it it wasn't as much – it was more of a – you see the actual thing a lot more in this film because it's always running around versus trying to hide. And, I mean, they've got the capabilities to make this monster more so than they did 30 years ago. But but, it's not worth it. But why do it? Yeah, it's a waste. Because it makes no sense and it doesn't look as good. Right. Yeah, it uh the scene where um it kills what's the kid's name the guy was from Community Eric Christian Olsen again it just didn't really make sense he it kind of stabs him first so then he's laying on the ground dying and then I think that's who I'm thinking of that he awkwardly positions himself on top of right um and you can't tell is he going to absorb him I mean there's so much going on in that scene that it, it's hard to really to keep up with everything but he just. It's like it's indecisive about what it wants to do. Does it want to eat him? Does it want to absorb him? Does it want to just kill him? And it ultimately just kind of drags him into the hallway, and then they they both get fried by the flamethrower. Yeah, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And the other thing I want to talk about with you is the, the, the final moments and the final scene of this film because we're led to believe that there are a couple people left alive. We've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. We've got Joel Edgerton. They're off at the spaceship doing their thing. And we they've chased after the uh, the head scientist who has become infected. And before that all goes down, there is one quick shot of 
guy whose name I can't remember. It's the guy in the radio room. Yes, they, mm-hmm. they, they, a, a radio guy. Let's call him radio we'll call guy. call him radio, yeah. They, they've got a shot of radio guy looking around like, uh-oh, the thing's coming after me. I'm scared. And I had forgotten this, but apparently Lars is also still alive, apparently. even though he, it looked like he had been grabbed at one point. It turns out he wasn't infected by the thing. So they they have all this stuff going on between Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, but what about Radio Guy back at the base? He could still be infected. What What's going on there? And, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead has apparently forgotten about him. She kills Joel Edgerton. And then she's so traumatized. She just sits there, uncertain what to do, fade to black. And I guess the implication is she drives 50 miles to a Russian base. Yeah, it was uh... – For someone that was so concerned about not letting the thing get out, she doesn't decide to go back to the base and see if there's any remnants left. Mm-hmm. You know, cue credits, which I was like, what? <laughs> You're ending the movie? Uh, there's still a guy back at the base – and you haven't explained the dog. You haven't explained the guy that got his throat cut from the 1982 film, which was a big deal. What is going on? And so during the credits, they show the body of the guy with his throat cut. And again, I was like, oh, look, you showed me the exact same thing from the 1982 film. You didn't show me how it happened. Mm-hmm. Did he kill himself? Did the thing get him? Did he slit his own throat? Instead of his wrists? I mean, what happened here? You know, I what it seemed like to me was the director kind of had the same thought that you did when it cut the credits and all of a sudden said, oh, crap, yeah, we we got to put this in now. Hang on a second. Don't cut the credits. Stop the credits. Let's put in the scene that explains everything else that you've been waiting for for the entire film. Right. Because that, if you've seen the 1982 film, you know that they find two bodies. One is the mangled, deformed body out in the snow, and they find the guy in the control room with his throat slit and all this blood that's frozen dripping and you're like well what happened to him we still don't know at the end of this movie we don't know what happened no it it seems like it's implied that he killed himself but they showed frozen blood dripping from his fingertips which led me to believe that he had slit his wrists which but his throat is slit right and it is in the 1982 film too and i was like did he slit his own throat that just seems like really painful or did lars do it but, right. why would, Lars but why, if Lars thought he was the thing, he would have burned him. He wouldn't have slit his throat because right. we all know that that doesn't kill the thing. Right. And, why, and he, Lars had a gun. Why didn't he just shoot him <laughs> mm-hmm. if he was going to do that? I mean it really – they didn't explain it at all. and It makes no sense. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's right. We need that guy who, who has his throat slit. Let's just put him there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, yeah. Well, it was, it was really an afterthought. And me – as a, a pretty uh, detail-oriented person, when I saw that quick shot of him in the radio room before um, those two go off to the alien ship to do their thing, I stored this little nugget in the back of my brain and said, don't forget about that guy because right. that's going to be crucial that he's still there. And then the credits started rolling, and I thought – I had like this unresolved sort right. of thing where I was like, what? what? You forgot about this guy. Yeah. That, you forgot about one of the main things from the 82 film. Exactly. That you have to explain. And – then, of course, we have this random helicopter pilot come in who I couldn't remember. I was like, who's that guy? I don't know. But he flew in in a helicopter. And then Lars comes out all crazy and is like, oh, get the dog. We, again, we've never seen the thing infect the dog. There's no nothing to imply that the dog 
has been infected, but it just runs off. And okay, thanks for landing your helicopter. Let's chase it. Yeah, and the helicopter pilot's like, oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> I mean, he's so on board with it, right? And, and it it just really feels rushed, like an afterthought. Like they were like, oh yeah, we have to have that thing with the dog because that's how the ninety eight the nineteen eighty two version opens up. Have a dog run, okay? Mm. Yeah, it's it seemed kind of cheap, and uh, it, they interspersed it with the credits. They would show maybe three credits and then cut back to them chasing this dog. And uh, I, I don't remember how the 1982 one starts, if it starts like that, where they're interspersing credits with shots. Um, um, no. Okay. I, it, just sh- it just has the credits over black, and then, it, then you see the helicopter chasing the dog. All right. I thought it might be some sort of homage or, or some sort of transition, but no, apparently no. It was just uh, It's just a cover-up bad filmmaking and the fact <laughs> that they didn't really think about it, mm-hmm. I think. Well, and I, I kind of liked – the the original, I guess we'll call it ending number one, um, where it's just her sitting in the truck and it cuts to black. Um, I kind of like that just because if you hadn't had that other guy there, right. that would have been it, a good ending. If they had already explained what happened. Exactly. Because that's, I mean, that's how the original kind of ends is with them just sitting around a fire saying, okay, crap, what do we do now? Well, that's, and, that's why it's such a fantastic ending. Right. And there's we, two of them left, too. That's what's great about Two people left. Mm-hmm. Neither of them knows if the other one is the thing. If you ask John Carpenter, he doesn't know who it is. <laughs> Kurt Russell and Keith David have said they don't know who it is, and that's the point. You don't know who it is, and maybe it's one of them. Maybe they're both human. Either way, they're both going to freeze, mm-hmm. and it's just really pessimistic, really bleak, and it's, you've still got that paranoia there. Right. Well, and, and throughout the entire first film, Kurt, you, you still question that Kurt Russell might be the thing. You're never sure that anyone is definitely not the thing. Well, you and get, he you, proves himself with the blood test. Right. But this one, you were kind of sure the entire time that this girl's not the thing. Right. And there was never any, I, there was never any doubt about whether she was the thing. And then even at the end, you, you're like, well, she's not the thing because she just killed the thing. And she just killed Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton, yeah, who was also the thing. So uh, there's just that shadow of doubt isn't there, which really makes for a spooky film and that's i mean that's why john carpenter is so great yeah there's there's just so many holes in this movie just so many things that don't make sense that just seem like the filmmakers were like oh let's just kill some people and have some cool special effects and that's not what made the 1982 film so great Mm -hmm. well and i mean they were just trying to recapture an audience that loved that film so much and get them to come back out to the theaters i feel like and they didn't um it wasn't it wasn't a good tribute to to what I think, like I said, is one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, if you're doing a prequel, it couldn't even figure out those beats it needed to hit to to transition into the 1982 film. Mm-hmm. It couldn't even do those few things that had to be done. You know, I mean, at least if it had accomplished those things, you could be like, well, at least it kind of flows into the to the next one. But it doesn't. It still doesn't. And it is just kind of like, well, then what was the point of well, you, making it? You know, I read somewhere, I think it was on IMDb, that uh, they the studio originally wanted to make a remake of the thing. Right. And the either uh, the director or the producer uh, convinced them to make a prequel because they said the original is perfect. You can't remake that film. And I like that sentiment. But they basically made a remake with a few little things and called it a prequel. Right. And they didn't tie it into the original well enough for it to really be satisfying. Yeah, far from perfect. Right, right. 
And I was just kind of left thinking, well, what was the point of that? So wait, so our, our, our heroine, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, I guess she's going to drive to the Russian base. Is she not going to tell them what happened? Is she not going to try and get in touch with other bases and be like, oh, by the way, there's this thing that might still be on the loose? I don't know, because I ran away, even though I spent the whole movie not running away. I, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. Honestly, and, and this this wouldn't satisfy today's audience. I think she should have died in the end. I think that would have been a better ending. Well, if she well, okay. frozen, they'd cut to her frozen in the truck or something. Well, that's the implication is that, I mean, if you've seen the 1982 film, the implication is everybody at the Norwegian base died. Mm-hmm. Dead. And I thought that, you know, they were going to um, let her survive until the end and have her be one of the helicopter pilots because you never really see – the uh, the pilot in the opening scene of the original, mm-hmm. you just see that whoever it is has butterfingers and can't throw a grenade and later dies. And I thought to myself, well, it's it'll be terrible if Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the person who ultimately blows herself up, <laughs> but at least it'll make sense, mm-hmm. you know. And the way it ended with them keeping her alive, I was just kind of like, uh, I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. What what is she really just going to leave the base now and go to another base and not say anything? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, so. it, was, it was almost like they took the real story of the prequel, which is just all these Norwegians, and threw in a couple Americans so that right we could watch it and we could speak English and right. watch it. And it, it was like they were unnecessary extras, and they had like the young pretty actress and the young pretty actor, and they just they didn't fit in right with the whole theme and the general feel of the film. I was kind of thinking, okay, why do they need to be American? Why can't she just be on the base from the beginning as part of the team? Why do we need to ha- have that opening scene where the guy goes to her and is like, oh, you're a great paleontologist. We found something in Antarctica. No, that's not what you do. You don't want to risk word getting out. What if she had declined the job? What if she had said, no, I don't want to go to Antarctica. <laughs> I'm going to tell my friend, though. Mm-hmm. I mean... That's not what you do. She should have been on the base from the beginning. She should have been Norwegian. And you do a, a Hunt for Red October translation thing where you start out with subtitles and then they just start speaking English. Yeah. And it's implied that they're still speaking Norwegian, but we understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have been fine with that. Right. Don't mind. Yeah. But I didn't like the scene – the fact that they had a scene that was set back in Maine, somewhere outside of Antarctica. Um, it kind of detracted from this whole isolated feel. I mean um, – you're in Antarctica, you feel so alone, there is no outside world because you're so far removed from it. And by having this one scene, it's like, oh, we there is the rest of the world somewhere out here. It, it really detracted from that that isolation, I think. And uh, I guess one last point while we're, while we're just kind of randomly talking about things we don't like. They found a freaking spaceship. Do they not have some tech science guy that is like, let me go down and study that ship? I mean, everyone's just focused on the creature they found. Is there nobody who's like, hmm, maybe we could use this technology. These pixels. Yes. Maybe we can learn from it. This could completely change everything. I mean, this creature is great, but what about the technology? No one is like, yeah, let's go study the ship. (laughs) Yeah. I was just kind of like, uh... Really? You don't have any tech guys yeah. on your base? Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but you almost you forget it's there until all of a sudden the last scene they're back at it. And right. Yeah, it's like it's a spaceship, man. I yeah, I hear what you're right. saying. I, I mean, in the 1982 version, you figure, oh, 
well, I guess the Norwegian base already explored it, and there's a storm coming, so these guys don't have time to explore it. But I would, I would have expected someone over the course of two movies and two bases, I would have expected one character to be like, oh, a spaceship. I want to go check that out. Well, if you found a spaceship in Antarctica, would the first person you call be a paleontologist? <laughs> no. Well, I guess it would be if you found a strange creature in the ice buried a little bit away from the spaceship. But I think you would also call tech people as well. Yeah, I want NASA on the phone yes. or Stephen Hawking or someone who might be able to shed a little light on where the hell this thing came from. Yes, or how it works. Get some, <laughs> yeah. get some physicists over here. Get some people that know engines and science and the theory of relativity and <laughs> get them over here too. But mm-hmm. no, it's just, a, it's just a huge spaceship. Not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't. Uh, there's there's so much to nitpick, and there's so much that we have nitpicked. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about this 2011 version of the thing? No, you know, I was just uh, I was thinking though, if you could, if you had the thing's power and you could mimic one person, who would you mimic, Andrew? Of those people on the base, or of anyone, anyone in the world? If you anyone... were the if you were the thing right now, who would you mimic? Who would I mimic? <laughs> Um, I was about to say Ryan Reynolds because he's married to Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> but they're getting divorced. Whoever Carrie Mulligan's dating, that's okay. who I'd mimic. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Good answer. Maybe maybe whoever's dating Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's yeah, kind of cute. Hey, you can imitate them both. You're the thing. That's true. Do whatever you want. Hypothetical question. How does the thing breed? Does it have sex with itself? Ooh. You could mimic Ryan Reynolds and Scarlett Johansson. And right. And just... And if they had babies, would it be human babies or would it be thing mimicky babies? That's a good question. I think we, we need to get these uh, some of those fake Antarctica scientists in here to make up a ridiculous, stupid answer. These are the types of questions <laughs> that those scientists should have been asking yes. the minute they found that yes. creature. <laughs> How does the thing have sex? Yes. How does it work? What is it? Is it asexual? Does it have a gender? Basic questions. Yes. This How is... does it walk? What is it? I mean, it's just... No, no questions at all. No. Nope. Just let's drill a hole. Okay, we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> no sense. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of The Thing. Chris, you and I both concluded probably shouldn't see this movie. No, I would not recommend it. Um, like we said earlier, go rent the original. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, uh, just subscribe on iTunes and write us a review. We'd really appreciate it. It does help get the word out about the show. You can also tip us through the donate button on the website. We really appreciate it. You have no idea. It really does help keep the website and the network running. Uh, Chris, tell us more about uh, yourself and where we can find you online. Uh, You can find me. I'm on Twitter. Uh, My handle is C-H-R-S-B-A-K-R. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Just look up Chris Baker and uh, try to hum me down there. Or you can read uh, some of my music musings on my blog, which is musicuse.wordpress.com. And we'll also be able to hear you on Wait, Wait, Don't Eat Me, which is our brand new show. That's right. The uh, the brainiest show on the web. The brainiest show about brain eaters. <laughs> the brainiest show about brain eaters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at www.thecoolchildeffect.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. If you do follow me, just send me a quick message and let me know you're a listener, and I will be sure to follow you back. As always, a huge thanks to Greg Harbin for editing the show. If you're a Star Trek junkie, you can find the podcast he hosts called The Ready Room over at trek.fm. All right, that'll do it. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Chris Baker. And have fun this week getting high on seven. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.